Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Bank Tech Ventures, the first strategic investment fund designed by the community banking industry for community bank innovation and investment. Bank Tech identifies leading products and technologies for community banks and works with the founders and management teams of those companies to maximize the impact for community banks and their businesses. If you're a bank looking to innovate and invest in your future or a founder who wants to work with community banks, reach out to Bank Tech Ventures at banktechventures.com. My guest today is Samantha Berg. She's the Chief Human Resource Officer at Choice Bank. And to give you a little bit of context, Choice is one of the leading banking as a service banks out there, as well as a community bank based in South Dakota. She's had a very successful career there, and we'll talk a lot about her journey and, and adventure there today. And she's helped them build a very interesting bank and culture, which we're going to delve deeply into today on a topic that we both share a lot of heart and interest in. Samantha, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Carrie. It's It's been a pleasure just to talk in our small small amount we have thus far and and the partnership I know that that we've had with your organization for quite some time. Well, thank you. Well, let's start with your background at Choice. As I said, You've had a, a really interesting adventure, a number of different roles there so far in the 15 years that you've been there. Congratulations on that. What a great run. I guess start with first, like what would you attribute personally your growth and success uh, in the time that you have had there? Yeah, this is this is a fun question and, and my mind goes in a million different places and to a million different people. Um, you know, if I can narrow it down generically, I would say that, you know, one, our, our CEO's desire to surround himself with the diversity. Mm. Um, I'm formally educated in the fine arts. I think different than most in the industry. Um, I'm opinionated and unapologetically direct. So for me to flourish, I need to be surrounded by those who not only respect different voice, but believe in a necessity. Hmm. Um, and I've had that since day one in Tellerline to, you know, today where, where I'm at. So that's really ultimately helped me flourish and satisfies who, who I am personally and what I need. Um, I would say too, I really like to win. <laughs> so hmm. Um, once one thing's accomplished, I haven't even take a breath, taken a breath before I'm on to the next. Choice is a good place to be uh, for that. And stars aligned and collided with amazing people who want to do great things. And, and we move fast. And if you can jump on and, and hang on, you can come along for a, a pretty fun, exciting ride. Very cool. Well, let's let's yeah. talk about you know, choice itself and, and winning to your point. There aren't that many banks in the country that have pivoted their business in the way that Choice has. And so you've been there since before they did that. And I'm curious, you know, as that was starting to happen and, and banking as a service and, and kind of the partner banking of, with fintechs um, started to occur, you know, how how did that really, you know, get you engaged, excited, and obviously had to change some of the staffing and others. So just 
talk about that, like when that was starting, how that involved you in, in this people area, because there's so many implications to actually doing it and doing it well, like you have. You know, I think there's so many, uh, it, it starts small and, mm -hmm. and Tim Heilman, who, who leads our efforts in our bass space does it so well in listening to the needs of customers. And I think that's what really attracted these, these fin companies to us because really their only option up until, you know, this point or, you know, around there was large financial institutions mm -hmm. and they had a canned approach. They put you through um, their services were what they had. And, and for these companies, they, they needed different. Mm -hmm. And we took the time to listen and, and ultimately that's been a, a part, that's our sweet spot. It's ingrained in who we are. We, we listen, we create, we modify, we customize, we build. And, and so we, we do that internally but it came as a natural way for us to start to attract some eyes toward us because it was very different than what they had been experiencing thus far. Interesting. How, how has that changed the mix of people in the bank since you started? It was it was really small at first, so nobody really knew. Um, I, I don't think a lot of communities still know what the fintech space is so we have to be talking about mm -hmm. it a lot and and help them understand what it is so i would say it's changed for us a, a need to communicate improve communication at all levels um that's both at the org level but also the individual level um you can jump from meeting to meeting you hold so much of that information to yourself that could benefit others and the speed with which, especially that bass space needs to go, mm -hmm. you just can't hold it. You've got to share it. And so the, you know, there was already kind of this passion for growth and that we had in our organization. So it immediately started to pique the interests of those that wanted to be a part of something new and wanted to be in that next generation and be, you know, really become relevant in the banking space. Um, because it was it was unheard of. It was different. It was, you know, exciting to to be this very traditional bank within the Midwest that was going to reach out and say, hey, we're going to go do it and we're going to do it different. Uh, and I think for employees, their adoption of kind of our, our people first banking second mindset to say that there's not a lot of there's a lot of banks out there but not, of, not a lot of them know how to put people first and, and mm. be brave enough to say that banking comes second in our eyes, that that you come first. And I, again, I think that's what positioned us well for people to start listening and being interested in understanding how we could help. Mm -hmm. How have you organized the bank around these two somewhat different initiatives from a, a people because you know a community bank who's historically generally been driven kind of location first branch first the geographic footprint versus doing something like this that has in some cases no geographic boundaries to it but totally digital how, how have you organized the the organization around that we've changed a lot and frequently <laughs> um so when we first started out it was a very separate component of who we were and it required a very different type of focus, especially mm -hmm. in the initial conversations. Um, 
But eventually what we found is, is, you know, the relationship interaction might be a little different with those, those FinTech customers, but ultimately it's banking and we're providing the true core banking services that we provide to every other customer out there. Mm -hmm. And so we really folded it back in within the organization, especially really over the last two years, because the bank is the engine that, that supplies the product and, and the implementation. And so really the relationship side is, is a little separate or different, mm -hmm. but we're, we're a bank and those FinTech companies need a bank and, mm -hmm. and, and so it, it it all plays together. So it started very separate and now is is very much integrated into each other. That's interesting because I don't think that is the norm uh, in in most of your peers that are also doing this. I think most of them probably still have it as fairly separate, even yeah. lines of business to some extent. It's like call it community banking here, banking as a service there, and um, may not have much crossover except at the most senior levels. You know, it, it's interesting you say that because it, it creates a little bit of tension mm -hmm. I because even from an organizational design perspective, we are offering, you know, different value to some, especially those larger fintech companies uh, where we are building from scratch certain products mm. that requires a different type of service level. And so for some of those shared services that really support the traditional bank and support the FIN, they're, they're kind of like, well, well, why do we do this over here and we don't do this over there? So we've had to come in and actually do a ton of education on organizational design mm. and different value propositions for different types of customers. So our employees, I mean, our, our education for even at that level for them to understand then they can go in and, and, and step into those conversations and know, you know, why there's different, why it feels different and why we can't do it for every single customer in the same way and the uniqueness and be able to appreciate that. And, and so it's taken a little bit more work on our part to provide a lot of that education, but we have smarter employees for it. And, and they, they find excitement in that and appreciation for that and understanding that difference. I can totally see that. that. That makes a ton of sense. So let, let's talk about that from just the overall talent and recruiting side. Um, how like, how have you changed your approach to recruiting because of this, I'll call it evolved story of who choice is? You know, luckily our our reputation is getting people to talk. Um, and that piques interest and mm -hmm. that's what you want. You want people telling your story for you. Uh, we know we do things different. We, and people want to be a part of that. Um, but really it's an all hands on deck recruitment philosophy. Mm. And so uh, it looks a little different because um we need all of our employees to understand all of the different things we do because we all have networks mm -hmm. and we can't just be thinking about our own division and our own space. So if, if they have more knowledge as to the different things we do and the different cogs that work here and there, um, they're better able to speak to uh, who we are and that attracts people in itself. So it, it is a part of the storytelling and it can't sit in recruiting. It can't sit in HR. 
it has to live within your people and in the excitement and and the story that you're telling. So I, I think that's changed things a little bit where, you know, traditionally I think the mindset is, you know, I'm a location president, I hire lenders. That's not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. We have to be thinking for for all areas of the organization. Ah, that's that's cool. Give me an example of maybe a story that the the organization uses to go tell the story. You're mentioning that you do yeah. you know a lot of like Monday morning you know storytelling with the whole organization. But what's an example that people have grabbed? Because I I think those those company stories can be so powerful in enabling the the organization to go out and and talk as well. We have so many. <laughs> <laughs> so so many organizations I talk to, they say, how do you, how do you dig for these stories? How do mm -hmm. you find them? And, and uh, luckily we have uh, an employee recognition program and it it's just on fire every day. And you, you look through that and, and you're filled with stories that mm -hmm. you can tell, um, tell other people, tell the organization about who you are and how it looks in real life. Um, you know, there's one simple example, and you may have even already heard this, Carrie, um, especially Tim loves it. Um, it's an oldie for us, but it's a goodie. Uh, and it demonstrates our mission of people first, banking second. And it's very attractive for candidates. That's not what bankers are used to hearing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's rooted in empowerment. For some context, you know, we believe that all employees should be able to make decisions easier said than done, sure. um, of course, but uh, to place people first, no authority levels, signatures needed. Uh, so, for example, we have gift cards behind all of our teller lines. Mm. Um, if someone, anyone, a customer or a team member is having a bad day, um, grab one. Uh, we all know what to do. It's just most places don't allow you to do it. So... Um, order them flowers, buy them ice cream, life can get heavy, banking, um, or being their employer or coworker is the bare bones of what we can do for people. Hmm. So as the story goes, it's it's a legend around here. <laughs> we're, we're about to close. Our teller gets a call from a frantic customer saying they're on the way to the bank to make a deposit um, so they wouldn't be overdrawn, but they ran out of gas. So typical story you could hear as a sob story. What does our team member do? They jump into their car, they go to the gas station, they fill up a tank, they head to the hmm. customer, fill them up on us and grab their deposit for them. So, um, you know, if you can translate the story into today and all of the other areas of the organization into that first point I made about listening to the needs of our customer and empowering our people to do what's right. Again, that's what that's what intrigued those those fintech relationships. Initially, it's the same concept. It's what makes us stand out. Uh, we can listen to needs. We talk about voice of customer every day, all day with all of our team members at all levels. So we're quick to adapt um, and have flexibility to to move fast and, and provide what they need. That's such a great, such a great story. So how do you think now you've been in banking for most of your career uh, so far? How And so no doubt you've met other banks. How would you describe that as different from most other banks you meet? 
we know it's different mm -hmm. because of the people coming into our organization and the hesitancy they experience when we teach them these principles. Mm. Um, and it might be as simple like, hey, you know, somebody's grandmother passed away, buy them flowers. And they're like, I don't, I, I can spend the bank's money on that. And they're like, <laughs> well, who do I get approval from or who? And so it's, you can just tell it's, mm. it's something that they haven't exercised and we know they know what's right. And so it's just, you know, pushing and inspiring that, that they have all authority to do that too. And it sounds simple, but it translates into so many er other areas of the organization. So it is a little bit of a battle that we, we fight sure. when we, especially from really large institutions that we have to kind of teach them to open up and, and let go of some of that control that they've experienced in the past. Mm. Or lack of control, depending on how you look at it. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Lack control of agency. Sure. Lack of agency. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. And that agency is a really big topic in, uh, in sort of people leadership circles right now, and how and, and that that is living it firsthand. So cool. I know employee experience is something that you care a lot about and you were kind of even intimating it a little bit when you talk about people coming in and learning about the mm -hmm. the employee opportunities and and uh values when they come into choice from maybe another bank what are some kind of approaches that you you would say you know how you describe that uh employee experience maybe let's go through sort of the you know getting them in and then getting them to a place where they're really thriving so we consider a couple things, um, and a couple of those are what I like to refer to, and I know it's in a book, um, I think it's called The People Puzzle, um, and she references culture from two perspectives, for, from big C and little c, mm -hmm. and so big C is what the org provides, the corporate mm -hmm. culture is, and little c is your day-to-day -day experiences. Mm -hmm. And, and I think especially as we grow, we realize more and more it's the day-to-day -day that really matters. And so the foundation is, is what the big C provides. It's those values. It's our, you know, we have cultural mindsets and key attributes. It's the, it's the stories that continue to live on that when you start as a brand new employee, you're like, well, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> you know, it's making sure we have those written down and can speak to them and say what they mean. Um, and then holding people accountable to those pieces at all at all levels, and then allowing the leaders to create an experience at that little C level, and um, really knowing that that's not up to us, that's up to them. So even mm -hmm. when we talk about virtual teams, um, I think we're at about 30% of our workforce fully remote right now. Mm. And um, what we've done is, is created now, it started with one, now there's three. There's three virtual teams and we mirrored it off our physical spaces. So what physical spaces add value in is it brings a whole bunch of people together that are in different areas of the organization. So you have these weird connections, weird mm -hmm. collaborations, you find out what that person does, you know, you're outside of your little world a little bit. So we've pulled together those kind of spaces. And so they come together, you know, you're talking with somebody in risk when you're over in um, transactions or whatever it might be. And so, you know, creating these little C atmosphere events 
that help people connect and flourish. And, and so we really focus on the two very separately. Um, one is foundational. And then of course the little C is, is really um, the impact that they go home with every day that, you know, they're telling their spouses about, you know, what happened for the day. And, and that's the stuff too, that's, that's gotta go well. Absolutely. How, how are you evaluating how people's experience is on a somewhat regular basis? So we have a lot of space for employees to have voice uh, on a regular basis. And a lot of those we are continuously assessing. And when we develop our strategic plans, that's one of our key stakeholders is listening to the voice and pulling out what's important. So on, on top of surveys, those types of things. But one that we love, for example, we call choice voice. And so we pull in about 20 team members at a time. It's random selection. They have two members of leadership they're on a call with for an hour. There is no format. Hmm. We say, what do you want to know? What are your questions? What's not going well? Um, so ensuring that there's those touch points. Um, we know it's not always comfortable to bring things up, but you got to be able to bring things up. You know, mm -hmm. we talk about having a challenge culture here at Choice, and we're only our best if you can challenge what you don't like and or what you don't agree with or what you have different thoughts on. So it's going to have to be in those types of settings versus surveys. Surveys only get you so far. Mm -hmm. And so it's just access to the employees to understand, ask questions, share their perspective. And that's just one example of the different, you know, listening channels that we have to ensure that experience is going well. Mm -hmm. That's that's super helpful. Thank you for sharing. So let's let's talk about the next generation of talent out there. Um, you know, you you've now been in the bank for for 15 years. So there is this next generation now potentially available to the bank to attract and recruit in. How do you think about appealing to this truly digital native? generation to get excited about banking? So from what a lot of the statistics show, um, especially as more of them are, are doing like personality assessments, those types of things, they're, they want to make an impact. Mm -hmm. um, they they want to add value. And there's a lot of ways community banks can do that. And foundationally, they can be the lifeblood for the community. Um, sadly, the media has portrayed banks as everything but that. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to work extra hard to be able to help your communities understand that um, and be able to speak to that and how they're making a difference. Or, or you know, and, and if we speak to our fintech partners, they might be helping to bank the, un, the traditionally unbankable. Mm -hmm. um, help that startup business manage their money. And that's at a national or even global level um, for people we'd otherwise not be able to serve. So that in itself is super exciting for a lot of these people coming in, wanting to make a difference and, and especially see the, the reach that choice has um, to making a difference. So any other things that you think about, like once you appeal to them about that impact, what are the other things you feel like you have to be cognizant of with this group to keep them excited and engaged once they come in? You know, this goes against a lot of traditional bankers, but accept the fact they're going to do it different from you. Mm. 
Uh, we teach what we like to call a coaching culture. And coaching recognizes unique talent and the fact that maybe how I've been successful might not be the same for that person I'm coaching. Uh, we all love to give advice. It makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. um, but most success comes through trial and error. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we just tell them exactly how to do it. And I think that's what's traditionally been seen. And, and some of the challenge, especially in the community banking space, uh, you know, there everybody talks about the challenge of growing young lenders up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's wrong is, you know, the traditional bankers are telling them how to do it. And that's just not the world anymore. Mm. And so it's giving them a little bit of freedom to go out and try it on on their own way. And they've got good ways. They just need to see which ones work. Oh, um, so much gold there. That's great. <laughs> uh, you know, other than that, I'd say be OK with letting them leave. Uh, that sounds maybe a little pretentious of me, but you're fighting against statistics. I am the odd man mm -hmm. out here. Uh, I think if you, you're you wanting to have a 20 to 30 year employee in your organization, it's just not going to happen. Um, let them try something else. We get a lot of team members needing to see if the grass is greener and then they know what they have at choice and they want to come sure. back. And that's okay. Yeah. So. I, I think that's such a refreshing perspective and I do, I do tend to subscribe to this idea of give them as much opportunity as possible to learn within your organization, which often does make them super marketable to the yes, outside world. But I think you do find increasingly that people do value that and often they'll stay or often they may go experience it and come back. So I think, I think that's such a refreshing and rare perspective, as, as you said. Yeah, it's so many, especially leaders are so fearful, right? Because they think it's a, it's an insult to them if they mm -hmm. have a team member leaving. And so we're just here to help them understand it's, it's, you know, most of the time it's not about us. And so. Well, you talked about the culture, you've talked about leadership uh, a couple of times, you know, in general, as you just think about organizations, you know, what role do you feel like leadership plays in creating that? empowered, safe environment for, for people to thrive in? So a lot of our um, kind of cultural imperatives or, or key attributes that we speak to, and you can't only speak to them, you have to lead, you know, by example, or, or the concepts that are, you know, failing forward, agile, agile business models, you know, producing MVPs, those concepts aren't there just for product, they're for mm -hmm. everything. <laughs> Um, so don't strive your team to work for a hundred percent. That 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 would drive a lot of people crazy. Um, but push it out at eighty. Get the feedback. Mm -hmm. Make changes. Uh, it doesn't feel good to push it out at eighty, but it's the best way to get the best result in the long run. Um, it's one of the reasons I'm not an artist professionally because I overwork my art. Mm. <laughs> That's a concept I learned here to say. You know, when you do try to get it to 100 percent, you usually fall flat on your face because you didn't get the feedback loop mm -hmm. that was necessary in that MVP process. So um, and the other the other way is for um, leaders to be vulnerable. You know, mm. Brene Brown would be proud. Uh, mm -hmm. Communicate when they've made mistakes. How many failures did it take before that customer said yes? Um, you know, these these young individuals are looking in and think you've gotten to this place by by only winning. You know, Michael Jordan taught us, you know, how much failure it took before you actually won. Um, 
you know, and then last but not least is if, if you can show how you failed, this one's maybe the hardest I see is let your people fail. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not big ways, but, you know, in little ways to help them learn, don't always be their superhero saving them. Um, they got to grind through it themselves sometimes. Oh, so many, so many good points there. That's, that is fantastic. I, I think last thing I'd love to talk about on this kind of culture topic, what, and you've, you've alluded to some of this, but what are the things that you think most community banks or many community bank leaders get wrong when they think about their people? Oh, that's tough. Um, I think some of it's in control. Hmm. Uh, when things get risky, risky, when markets are like they are today, they tighten. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're scared. Uh, they allow less freedom. They allow less flexibility. Um, there's more rules. There's, you know, and that's scary. And I think that's just the natural tendency of, of the industry itself. And so that's what holds people back. You know, um, we talk about, we have a lot of individuals and, and we've gotten better as we've grown, we've had to. Um, from a regulation standpoint, we have com individuals come into our organization that say, okay, hand me over your procedures, hmm. your policies. And we're like, yeah, that's not how we work. So, and, and, you know, so they're, they're used to following a script. They're used to following a checklist, which just allows them the activity of, of testing and, and using and thinking their brain. There was one time when I oversaw the learning and development area and, you know, I'd had a position posted. It was going to be our first org trainer. And Brian, our CEO came into our office and he said, Sam, until you, you cannot hire for this position until you can convince me that this person's gonna help people be better thinkers. Hmm. Because what a lot of learning learning and development departments do create is create checklists. Yep, that's right. And and that doesn't allow people to be able to think through processes. And that's that's the exciting part because technology can do that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, we got to be able to think through the events that are that are different than the norm. And so um that was a really lengthy answer, but probably where I see most other bank leaders fail. That's helpful. Well, we talk about, you just talked about thinking and, and change. We're obviously seeing a ton overall around AI in the workplace right now. Um, that's a potentially huge disruption. And I think potentially a huge disruption to a lot of processes, a lot of jobs in, in banking. How are you, how are people at Choice thinking about AI? Is it disrupting? Is it enabling in, in their jobs today? I think the general feel um, is excitement. Hmm. Now, I can't necessarily speak to, you know, the product side of what we'll be able to offer our clients, our customers. But for, you know, a small example to use is to take what would take normally two hours and writing a job description, which everybody in the world hates, um, takes two seconds. <laughs> and so, I mean, just we had a team member say the other day, they're like, we can do this. I can use this. And so, I mean, so 
we, we see a lot of organizations out there restricting access. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're teaching safe practices. Mm -hmm. It is a tool. We don't want to restrict it. It's making us better. I think over anything else, you know, in its simplest form and, you know, the chat GPCs and what it is today, um, it just gives people a place to start. Sometimes mm -hmm. starting is the hardest place and mm -hmm. you would have had to go to Google before and dig and grind and, you know, compile yourself and it does all that. So um, it's going to be cool to see what kind of value it adds for the employee experience. And we're going to have to assess, you know, is that people first? Is that not? Is it empowering? Like you said, is so it's it's a lot to think about and um, to be intentional as we walk into those spaces. Absolutely. Yeah, I, my current thinking, I like this adage of AI is not going to take your job, but someone who knows how to use AI may take your job. Yes. <laughs> how to ask the right questions. The, the AI text, there's tons of certifications out there now you can take to, to know how to kind of navigate within it. And, and I think it's just getting, I mean, everyone into the practice of go there first, mm -hmm. save yourself time, think there right. first, you know. Right. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's, you, you're clearly a very growth minded and you know, rapid learner, Sam. So let's, Talk about beyond all the things you've done and learned at Choice, which obviously has been a lot because the business has also evolved a tremendous amount while, you, while you've been there. So you've benefited from that. How else do you invest in yourself, in your own growth, maybe outside of, of Choice? You know, I would say I've, um, what makes me at my best, especially for the field I'm in, in HR and people leadership is being able to get the most experience with the most um, types of customers that I'm going to interact with. So I recently uh, declined a, a peer group that was only women. Mm -hmm. And I love what they're doing to stand women up. But what I said to them is I said, you know, respectfully speaking, half my customers are men. <laughs> So this peer group does not help me understand that that half, I'm limiting myself to understanding how I can serve. And so if I can continue, what I, I've always loved to work. Um, my mom tells stories about in high school, I'd have three jobs being tons of sports and mm. just work was fun. Like you got to see different people. And so I think for myself continuously, um, you know, being a part of different um outside of banking, um, you know, being on different boards. I love being thrown into a space I know nothing about, you know, mm. to the fire, being entirely in over my head and kind of having to dig my way out. Um, you know, that's what insane growth is about sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's nice that choice now, you know, we have the ability to to think in advance and, and plan and prepare. Um, but I would say just continuously adding me to areas that I'm not comfortable in. Um, and our CEO is good at that. So he threw me in banking school. Oh, I'm not a mm -hmm. banker. I'm mm -hmm. <laughs> the people side. But bankers are my customers, so mm -hmm. I better understand them. And so it's just gaining that different perspective from absolutely any, any place I can grab it from. Mm. That's I think that experiential learning like that is is so powerful. 
you were you were talking earlier about your interviewing style, which sounds like is another way that you you find to learn. What you know, tell tell me more about sort of how you think about your your favorite approach to interviewing someone as a potential candidate to join choice. Yeah. You know, I think both interviewing and and I spend a lot of time coaching, and I always tell the people I coach like, I don't like I think I get more out of this than you get out of that. So I don't I don't think you get it, but I do. So I'm constantly you know, open to learning and listening from, from what they find valuable, but interviews themselves. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm so curious as to what's worked, what hasn't um, in within their own organizations is, as you know, I've, I've been here a long time. So this is what I know. And so how I can learn what it's like other places is, is through those interviews and, and through their lenses and their experiences. And, and so, you know, we talked earlier, like, how, how have I stayed so long here? <laughs> and why have I stayed so long here? Because I have, the interviews are great. I have insights into so many organizations mm-hmm. out there and, and see what's working and how, why I'd want to be a part of, of different organizations and why I wouldn't. And, why I can value and understand what I have at this place here. And, and um, one of those is, and if anybody asks me when I'm interviewed, why I stay, it's, it's because I am confident that I can learn here more than anywhere else. Hmm. And that, I think, yeah, I think that reflection is so powerful and far too often people don't even do that analysis to say, Am I learning? Am I growing at the rate that I could? And um, yeah, so I, I, that's so powerful to to reflect on that and say, I'm confident I can, because that that almost renews your energy in yourself and, and in the organization, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned this earlier, as far as having a partially remote group, if, if you were to pick, let's say you had to pick fully remote or fully in office, which one would you choose? I'm so happy we live in the flexibility world, mm. Gary. Um, that's not your answer though. Uh, I personally prefer in office. Uh, I mentally love the separation that helps me prioritize where I spend my time. Mm. If I'm at home, right, I've got two boys, um, they're not there, but the chaos is still there, even though they're not there. The sure. dishes, the fingerprints, the the everything. And and when I'm physically at work, um, my mind isn't there. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can entirely focus where I need to. And for me personally, I get energy from physical human nat- human interactions. Um, some people don't, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Um, and, but I do, and I know I, I'm a much better person, a better worker. Um, I am on top of my game when I can get some of that physical interaction. And so it's best for the organization for me here and my family. They like a little separation too. (laughs) Sure. I, I, I totally get that. Has your view on, I'll call it fully in office, fully remote, hybrid, and the, and the variations. Has that changed at all in the last year, let's say, versus where it was uh, a year or two ago? You know, there's so many varying statistics. Yeah. You know, yeah. whichever case you want to make, you can go find your information mm-hmm. for, which makes it tough. That's right. Um, and so I've I've spoken about this before, but, you know, and and I think this speaks back to something I mentioned earlier about helping employees make decisions for themselves. Hmm. And 
if they have the customer in mind and what the customer needs and even what the perception the customer might have if you're at home, if you can walk through all of those scenarios, um, we have a high performing organization, we hold people accountable, um, it can be done. It doesn't mean it's not gonna work for some people and you have to address it. So if you're a company that doesn't like to have hard conversations, it's not gonna work. because it it puts you in positions that are sometimes tough because you're not there to see it. Um, Which, you know, if, especially I think this happens in banking and hierarchy and traditional organizations, if you believe you have to go to the person's supervisor to address things and create this triangle, that's really not going to work. So, you know, we're a screens on organization, video on organization and have been since 2015. And um, so we had video phones way before COVID. And mm-hmm. is it is an absolute expectation to have them on. We'll call you out. And so it's finding ways intentionally to ensure that that we're connecting people and collaborating. There's there are ways to do it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. Let's project forward a decade, Sam. What do you think will be most different in community banks with regard to talent and and people? You know, it's tough because I think they've said for the last 10 years, if not longer, there will be no brick and mortars. <laughs> um, mm. But that's proving itself a, a little otherwise that there's, you know, I think there's space for for the technology companies. I think there's space for the the physical interaction. What you're not going to see is is the technical need at the at the physical location so and this is what i'm hoping for and something that you mentioned it you know those technical boxes can be checked by technology and we can provide value and advice and and listening you know uniquely to that customer which technology can never do so i think it only enhances what we can provide Um, it's just being able to think a little differently with how that looks and and I think our entire organization knows that you're going to have a job here. It just might look a lot different mm-hmm. and and be okay and comfortable with that because that is the nature of our, our business in the world today. Do you think, just as a follow into that, do you think people will need to know more about their customers, businesses? Um, financial lives, other things beyond banking to be successful five, 10 years from now? My gosh, I don't know, because the technology will, it already knows all of that. Mm. Um, so I think we just have to ask in what value can can we be there then? If they mm-hmm. have all of that access at their fingertips already, um, do we really need to go out and know that? I, you know, I don't know. I think we just need to ask the right questions and, you know, essentially almost become, which many of our bankers are and a little coach-like and, Mm -hmm. and just help direct them in the path they want to move forward to. And, you know, the, the services and products will, will be there pretty naturally with technology. Sam, final question, uh, as our time's coming to an end, what would you say you're most excited about for you and and your team at Choice Bank for the rest of the year? You know, Carrie, this is probably the hardest question you sent me. (laughs) 
Um, it, it paused me a little bit because my mind's planning 2024. Mm -hmm. And so my 2023 is kind of already mentally already over. over. <laughs> so I'm like, so I had to slow myself down a little bit and say, gosh, you know. It's been well, a busy first half of the year. That's for sure in banking. Come on. It has. And that was the first thing that came to mind. You know, we're, we're maybe two weeks out from closing um, an exam out and, and had everything with, you know, the financial industry upheaval. It, so first thing that came to mind was celebration of, of everything that we've gone through. And it's something we constantly ask ourselves. We begin almost every meeting with is what's working because it's a way to celebrate. Mm -hmm. um, so one, celebrate. And and it it's really just enjoying that what we talk about is enjoying the journey. It's not, you know, these, these moments of what's going to happen yet in 2023. It's it's your long for the ride. And, and even that, you know, week of SVB, I think it felt like a month for a lot of people. And, um, but that's a part of the journey and the excitement to, you know, come out of those spaces and be confident with where we're at and excited with where we're at and in a very different position than most banks are in out there. Um, we're in growth mode and a, a lot of other financial institutions are looking inside themselves to say, how can we, how can we survive in this? How can we make cuts? You know, where, where can we shave off a little bit here and there? So just the, the appreciation and how fortunate we are and the things we've gotten into position ourselves for the success we're seeing, even amidst the, you know, the, the mini crisis that's happening out there. Well, thank you so much for joining. And as I knew we would have, I mean, what a fun conversation that you appreciate you sharing just so openly your people and leadership and culture philosophies. And it's so refreshing. And as you said, it's different than what, not just you see in a lot of other banks, but I think what you see in a lot of other organizations. And um, I know, I know it, I've, I've been a part of a lot of different organizations and certainly uh, get exposed to many as well. And I really am going to encourage a lot of our banks to listen to this because I think they can benchmark where they are today and probably where they they should be because you you all at Choice are definitely a benchmark that uh, other banks want to try to aspire to to reach. And congratulations on all the success and look forward to uh, to continuing to to work with you all in the days to come. Well, thank you, Carrie, and thank you to your team. Um, you're the kind of people we like to surround ourselves because you push us, and that makes us better. So thank you for your partnership and, and everything that you've been doing for all community banks out there. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.